Welcome to We Fish ASA, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. I'm Steve Sarley. My partner is Dave Kranz. We Fish ASA is always pleased to offer you conversation with the most interesting, the most informative, the most entertaining, as well as some of the biggest names in the world of fishing. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association, especially St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion, and Daiwa. We've got your bass covered. Yeah, Daiwa Reels. We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available 24-7 everywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can always check it out at our website, wefishasa.com. Dave Kranz and I record the podcast in Northern Illinois. We ship it off electronically down to our executive producer in Land Lakes, Florida. He is Brad Nearman. His company is Berserk Productions. Hey, Brad, thanks for everything. On today's show, we welcome Dan Johnston from St. Croix to talk about uh, getting a job in the fishing industry. Then we're going to have Richard Nicholson. He was just uh, certified as the new owner of the world record walleye, not world record, Pennsylvania record walleye, 18 pounds, one ounces. Richard Nicholson, can you believe that? What a huge fish. Then I'm going to be able to visit with uh, one of the greats, truly one of the greats. He is Mike Iaconelli. He's back in business. He's uh, getting back into tournament fishing in the Bassmaster Elite. Anybody going to bet against Mike Iaconelli? Not me for sure. But first, let me turn it over to uh, Dave Kranz, who's going to bring out Dan Johnson. Take it away, David. As Steve said, I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast, and this segment is brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Welcome back, Dan Johnston. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me. Oh, excellent. So uh, about once a year, we talk about careers in the outdoors because we both get asked, you get asked at shows when you're on the road, maybe in stores, and I know being in a retail environment, uh, we've both heard it. Boy, you got the best job in the world because you're always fishing and hunting. Not, huh? <laughs> it's uh, we don't yeah. <laughs> we don't get to fish and hunt all the time, but there is a benefit to being in the outdoors, and there are our jobs in the, in the industry, and it is a fun industry. And and I think uh, as we've told listeners before, and we have new listeners all the time, but um, I'm sure there's some that haven't heard this, and some can get reminded of it. Um, having a passion for what you do is uh, is a big bonus, isn't it? It's important, and, and to your point, you know, earlier, it's, it's uh, you know, we're around it all the time, and we, we do get to fish and hunt for sure, not not as much as we could, you know, for those listeners out there that are retired, for sure, even some other avocations where they have total flexibility and control over schedules, but we do get out, and uh, we're around it all the time, and boy, what a blessing to be around so much knowledge, and, you know, every time I get to talk to you, Dave, or, uh, you know, other people that fish, at a very high level all across the industry, you know, from the highest pros out there to the weekend angler that flies under the radar that's just about as good as they are. So it's just that that's a big blessing for me and um, and then to help retailers and to help anglers find the right rod and then also help retailers be successful and help salespeople get be successful and grow. Those are all very rewarding things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the ones that want to make uh uh, tournament fishing their career they can do do both and it's a heck of a lot easier to do that as your secondary 
option and still be in the industry because you can maybe work off time that you can be off to do those. And because that is a really hard road to grind and to, to make it at that level. It, it's just like baseball or football or basketball and uh, only for a lot less money. But the, um, being around the industry, like you said, has its blessings. We get to be around it. We get to talk to people. But uh, there's a lot of jobs, uh, sales, there's uh, retail sales, wholesale sales. You can guide uh you know, you can be on the manufacturing end or the design end, and there's a lot of things you can do. But I would, uh, I, I would definitely uh, on the tournament end, it, it's a, it's a goal to get there and do that. But I think uh, you might find it easier to get into that if you are in the industry already. Yeah, and I would I would certainly agree with that. I would I would also say that to get into the industry in general, just try to be around it. You know, whether that's meeting people at shows or keeping in contact with factories or reps, you know, salespeople or what the, my path was through retail itself. I right in right when I was in college, that's just what I wanted to do is help people become better anglers and be a better angler myself. So I worked part time at a big retailer in Iowa and then moved up through the ranks there. And then when I graduated from college at went in outside sales, you know, so that I just, I got involved by, working for a retailer. I don't know if there's a better avenue than that because you start working with sales reps directly and they obviously have contact with factories and then if you just put put all you got into it, put your whole heart into it, passion and be as good as you can be, you know, you'll get noticed. Absolutely. And, and one of the things I think that gets overlooked, I've had a couple of the uh, college guys, high school guys that have worked for me that have gone uh, this route in the outdoor world, and they've gone to uh, for conservation law enforcement. And that is a really good path if you're if you have that desire, because you, you're exposed to the fishing, the hunting, and the better you are at uh you know, playing the fishing and hunting game, the better uh, conservation officer you will become. And and that is not a bad, bad way to go either. And, and I think last time we didn't ever bring that up, but I, I thought about it um, and I thought, boy, next time we have to talk about that because the wardens have really good benefits and um, get to be outside a lot and get to uh, be around the, uh, the industry in a different way. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of areas to get into. You know, the industry can really be very broadly defined. It could be, you know, rod and reel repair. It could be sales. It could be on the conservation side. It could be, heck, it could be legislatively, you know, uh, to trying to uh, make our fisheries better and fight for uh, public fisheries and so forth. Right. So there's, a, there's a million ways we can take this, but... And the, the broader point that we're trying to make here is if, if you do want to be involved with it, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that do because it's amazing to work in an area and to have your avocation aligned with your passion is really cool. How many people out there don't have that? They do their job because they absolutely have to, and they come home at night and then go do what they really love to do or after work, go fishing for a couple hours. But to be around it all the time, as whacked out about the sport as, as you and I are, Dave, has been really cool. Yeah. You know? So I, I can I can see I can see people's desire out there, and I think it's kind of our job to help them understand how to get involved. Sure, sure. And and like you said, some other jobs have more flexibility to get the fish more. I know several uh, guys that are really good um, local tournament anglers that were school teachers, and they were off all summer so they could go fish the tournaments. Uh, that's not a bad bad way to go either. And some of those guys also guided and and taught fishing by through guiding. So uh, you know, there's there's no 
uh, wrong way to go. It's just uh, w- what they would, would like to do. I, I noticed one of the college guys that uh, he just went to work for um, uh, Sublime, um, for the, the uh, manufacturer that does jerseys, and he's doing sales for them. And he, f- he fished in college at uh, uh, Trevor McKinney. He, he got the uh, Bassmaster invite through the college uh, ranks. And, and so he's going to work in the industry, and I'm sure he's going to get the opportunity to fish also. Yeah, there's a lot of them, there's a lot of people that do that. And then there's a lot of people that work to fish full time. And then there's a lot of people that want to just get in the industry to be around people that fish. And so again, a million avenues to do it. But I tell you another thing, I don't know if there's a better time to get in. There's, you know, American Sports Fishing Association said last year, eight to 10 million anglers got into the sport of fishing. So the, the industry needs people to help those people be successful. And, and that can be a vast array of ways to do it. So it's a great time to get in. Absolutely. And the, the marine uh, uh, manufacturers are working at a, a dock, you know, around the fishing areas or something like that. That can also be great for a high school or college kid. And you may not know exactly which way you want to go. And and then the media end of it. Think of all these announcers that, that do the tournaments and the people that run the tournaments. Uh, you're around it then. And you're around those anglers that, uh, that we watch and we pay attention to and you want to be like but the there's a lot of avenues in the media writing uh, stories about the outdoors and fishing and hunting is, is a good thing or like this podcast i mean i i wear a lot of different hats between writing for ftr and doing the podcast fishing at a high level doing a, the retail store and doing the uh, guiding and and i think in many cases it's not just one thing if you want to make a full-time career out of it it's hard to do only one thing and and maybe it's a combination of several yeah, no, it absolutely can be. You know, and it's funny because I, I have friends that own charter outfits out in Ohio and they're, you know, full-time fly fishing guides are down in Florida doing the saltwater thing and the guiding thing. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is really a way to truly pursue your passion. And some, I, I know some people that would just never want to do anything else ever again for the rest of their life. They just love it that much. Every day they get up and have their little coffee mug and start that engine and smell those fumes and it's hard to explain. It's kind of like when I used to go duck hunting, just the real, or even fishing to this day, you know, that first thing in the morning deal and be able to do that for work and help people. Sure, you're gonna always have that, the the difficult situations and I get that, but what job doesn't have those? You know, so that, that, the guiding part of it, and I would, I would say now too, because you have tons of entry level anglers out there trying to get better, and they're looking for people that can help them get better. So that's a, that's another, another really good avenue. It is, and, and so is the social media avenue with the YouTube uh, videos and and promoting product. As you get into it, you can do that, and and hopefully, uh, you know, there's. Uh, Many people that do pretty well on on those those uh, gigs too, because you're you know you're educating people. But it does every job I think comes down to uh, product knowledge and education, and that will equal sales if you're if you're trying to sell product. And that's what we almost everything is designed to do. Whether it's a tournament, uh, you know, guides are even selling product because they're they're teaching you how to use specific equipment and lures and techniques that you have to go out and you're going to you're going to purchase some of these things that that you'll do but uh, i know we're both thankful that we're in this industry i i i can't imagine what else i would do can you no i i, I absolutely 100 percent agree and the, the, the social media thing you mentioned is probably the biggest avenue right now 
whether that's being an influencer and getting so much interest out through social media that companies notice you and compensate you for helping them out, especially for the younger listeners out there. But even the older guys like me, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, uh, or the older guys my age, I should say, I'm 54. It's not just a young man's game or a young woman's game, but the point is that's huge because there's so much at the tip of your fingers knowledge right now. Companies know that. So if you have a vast number of people that follow you and what you do on social media, you can be very attractive to companies as well. Oh yeah, that's it's a great thing to do, and and uh, I'm glad we bring this up every year and talk about this because it is a good topic and it does inspire others to uh, get into it. You're 54, I'm 63. Uh, it won't be uh, uh, too many more years, you know, or a decade, and you know, we make room for people to come into this industry, and and with the growth factor, as you mentioned, it, it's a great time to get into it. And uh, as always, I thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you so much, Dave. I appreciate it. That was Dan Johnston. I am Dave Kranz. Steve Sarley is remote, and this segment was brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. We will be right back after these messages. Probably one of the number one questions I get, you know, what line do I use? That's a big debate. For every tour out there, everybody's debating which line. I choose the simple side. My choice of line is Sunline. One of my favorite lines to use is Sunline. How all can you use it? Anywhere you want to. Anywhere there's water and bass, it's good. Walleye, catfish, trout, speckled trout, sharks. There we go. Uh, I don't say this unless I think it's true, but honestly, it's the best in the market. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Rule your water. Rule it with a St. Croix rod. Whether you take to the lake, wade the rivers, or cast from shore, St. Croix provides responsive performance, ensuring your success below every surface. With a St. Croix rod in hand, you're a part of a celebrated tradition that has spanned 70 years. Touch, power, and control are right at your fingertips and extend to you the finest fishing experience on the planet. St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Welcome back to the We Fish ASA podcast. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote, and this segment is brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. Uh, this segment, I always like to say that the people that I have on this do have a passion for the outdoors, love the outdoors and everything about it. And my next guest, uh, Richard Nicholson, certainly does. He recently caught the new... Pennsylvania state record walleye, 18 pounds, one ounces. And uh, we're going to listen to the story of how he caught that. And uh, welcome to the show, Richard. Thank you for uh, having me. No, no problem. So this is this is a really big walleye. And uh, um, some of the things about the story I, I really like. Uh, I like that you were fishing with your son. I like that uh, you guys were fishing oh, yeah. from the bank. I mean, all of that stuff is good. Give us a little uh, description of, uh, you know, your life as a fisherman, what did, were you ever out to catch a, a state record? No, I never, I, 
No, I never thought I'd catch a state record, but my dad, when we were kids, my dad, his motto was we use big hooks, big bait, big fish. And we've been fishing with big crick chubs like that for 30 or 40 years. Excellent. We've caught a lot of big fish, but never nothing like that. Do you go out and catch your own bait? Yes, I do. Yeah, I use mini traps, or sometimes we'll just go take a little pole and catch them with a little jig. That's half the fun, isn't it, catching the bait? Well, you got to have bait. I don't like buying bait because it it ain't as good as, you know, you getting the old bait out of the creek. No, no. If you can catch your own, it is always better. And uh, let's face it, that's what these these big fish are eating. They're eating those natural uh, creek chubs out of the streams and whatever's in there. Yep, absolutely. So... Uh, you were fishing with your son on that day you caught this, and you guys were bank fishing. Forget about the expensive uh, boats with all the electronics. You can catch them right off the bank, can't you? Uh, well, we fish that river, yeah. You, you don't need a boat. You can. There's a lot of places to fish off the bank. And now where I fish at, it's like um, the water comes underneath the bridge, and there used to be an old railroad trestle below it, and they ended up tearing it out, but... They left enough of the old abutment there that it made like a big sandbar in there. Hmm. So they hang and on I, that. I, and well, I fish right at the edge of that sandbar and them rocks. For some reason, I, I've caught twenty-five walleye out of that hole this no, year. No, so nothing wrong with that. Uh, what's the name of the river you caught it out of? Yawkagani. Yawkagani. All righty. I, I think the the fish that you beat was that out of the Allegheny. Yeah, it was. It was out of the Allegheny River, yes, sir. Yeah, and uh, I, I read that you have to be two ounces over, and the other one was, what, 17.9, and yours was 18.1? Yeah, yeah, man, I beat it by about half a pound. And, and you know, uh, bordering uh, uh, lakes like Lake Erie and, you know, out there in Pennsylvania, you would think that the big walleye would come from Lake Erie, but uh, uh, those river yeah, systems sure. have some big ones. Uh, I think what hurts the fishery at Lake Erie is the fact that like in Canada, they commercial fisher fish it, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that takes away from. And then our river, our river, there's actually you can't get to a lot of places in our river, and I think that's why the fish get big because they don't get caught. Is that one of the rivers out there that has those real steep banks, the bluffs, and all of that? Well, we got a railroad system on one side, and they give you a hard time about crossing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's a, that's a big factor to it. But then on the same token, on the other side of the river, we have a bicycle trail. So that gives you access to one side a long way. Yeah, yeah. But it's still, like you said, it's steep. It's hard to get to, and I think that's the reason why. And then I think a lot of people don't really fish for big fish either. No, how big a bait, how big a chub were you using for this one? I had about six or seven-inch crook chub on. That's a good one. And what kind of rig? What what did you use? I used a noodle rod. And uh, I fished with six-pound test, and I bottom fish. I fished with a number two hook, and a, I use a slip sinker. And uh, my slip sinkers that I use, I uh, a barrel sinker, I'm calling them. Mm-hmm. Well, I always soak them in water and put a nail in them, and I smash them flat like a washer. Okay. And that way, when I'm fishing the river, you're fishing the current, you know. When you throw it out there, that barrel sinker will hit and roll and speed up. Well, that washer, it's like a washer. It hits and it slips and it slows the bait down. It presents your bait better. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the flat sinker is and definitely... And also, when I hook my mini, yep. I use a big number two hook and I hook them through the mouth and out the eyeball and I try to blind it so it swims injured. Okay, yeah, and that makes it more appealing to the... It makes uh, it more appealing to yeah. them, yeah. 
Absolutely. And six pound test line. Boy, is that was that uh any kind of line class record also? I have no idea. I just that's what I use. I use I I got some eagle claw six pound on a filament and that's what I used. I I use it on all my rods because I fish I use them ten foot noodle rods. Yep. And uh they, they, you can use a light line because it takes the shock. You know, that rod takes the shock out of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that longer. So that, you can use a lighter, a lighter line. Sure. That, it that, works for me. Oh, absolutely. Obviously, with an 18-pound, uh, one-ounce walleye. Yeah, six-pound test with that big a fish, you never know. That might be a line class record also, something maybe uh, to look just, into. I don't know. It was just a good day of fishing. Absolutely. Now, you, you fished with your son that day. What else did you guys catch that day? Your son catch any? He caught a one smallmouth, and uh, well, before he got there, I, when I got there about five thirty in the evening, uh, I, as soon as I got there, I thought out I caught about a twenty-inch sauger, which is big for a sauger. Yeah. And then uh, my uh, grandson and my daughter and her boyfriend, they were fishing up the river, and I told them guys, I said, if you can't get any bait, come down. I got plenty of bait, so they stopped by while I was fishing there, and I showed them my sauger. They tried to call me into going up to this other spot with them. I said, no, I got one big fish here already. I'm going to stay right here. And about the time they left, my son come down, and I hooked a 27-inch uh, walleye that weighed nine and a half pounds. He fought like hell, that fish. He fought for a half hour. That's a good one. Then got him on a stringer, and he fought so hard that he died. He, couldn't, he didn't even revive. And uh, we was talking there, and... I guess about 15 minutes later, my boy, he caught a bass and bring it in. And then as he was bringing it in, he said, hey, Pap, you better check that pole. He said, you got to hit on that pole. Because I've fished with three rods. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it bit a little bit more, and I put the hook into it. And I told him, I said, you better get the net. I said, you better reel your poles in. I said, this fish is bigger than the last one I just caught. So it, it fought for about 20, 25 minutes, and it finally come to the surface out there. And he goes to me, oh, that looks like it's a big muskie. I said, no, you look again, that's a big wall. I said. <laughs> so uh, I didn't want to reel anymore, so it was about 20 feet off the bank. I said, you get the net. And I said, I'll just walk back to sandbar. And I said, get it in the net. And uh, when he netted it, he lifted the net up. He snapped the net handle of the net off. Thank God we got a hold of it and got it pulled in on the shore. And uh, I ended up with we measured it right there. He said, how big is that one, Pap? I got my tape measure out. It was 34 inches. So yeah. uh, we put it on the stringer, and uh, we called up to my, I uh, called my daughter up, and them guys, they come down to check the fish out, and we ended up fishing there till, I don't know, about 9.30 at night. And uh, we come home, and I told the boy, I said, uh, I'm going to fillet that one. I said, because it's dead. I said, I'll, I'll do that big one in the morning. I have a, overflow that comes out of my private spring where I live at. Yeah. And I, I run my overflow into a bathtub, an old Paul foot bathtub, and I got a live well, like, across the road. Sure. The house. Yeah. So and it, that's where I keep my bait at most of the time, too. Yeah. And uh, so I managed to keep, I only live about a mile from the river, so I throw them fish in a five-gallon bucket, and I hurried up and got them home in the big one. He lived. And uh, so... I was getting ready to fillet the first one, the one that weighed nine and a half pounds, and my boy goes, oh, I got a scale up in the garage, Dad. He went up because he wanted to weigh it, you know? Yeah. So he weighed that one, and while I'm out there filleting that one up, he got on the Internet. My, my son's the one that saved the day because I would have ate the fish. <laughs> and uh, he said, yeah, Pap. He said, look at this state record wall. I said, yours look way bigger. 
So the next morning, I went over there, and it was uh, it finally died about seven o'clock in the morning. And I bring it over, and I waited on that scale, and that scale weighed eighteen pounds. And it bottomed it out. And I thought, yeah, maybe there's something to what he said, you know. Yeah. So I called my one buddy up, and he had a luggage scale that weighed like thirty pounds, mm-hmm. way up to thirty pounds. So we hung it on it, and it weighed right at like seventeen nine. My buddy goes, man, that's pretty close to the record. So he gets his phone and he calls our other buddy, whose uh, nephew works at the uh, grocery store downtown. And so we took the fish downtown to the grocery store and he put it on a real scale. And it ended up weighing 18.14 pounds, but I had it in a garbage bag, you know? Yeah. And uh, so we knew then we had the record. So I called my wife up out. She's a secretary at the school and she got me, they printed me out the information for the. She got me the information so I could fill out for the state record. And uh, in the meantime, that boy, he, he said, you got to get that fish out of here. He's going to get me fired. So, uh, <laughs> so when we left, my buddy Smo, he goes, I know somebody else that's a butcher over at Martin. So he called another guy up, and that guy said, yeah, you get the paperwork. He said, you bring it over here. I'll check it out for you. Yeah. So we ended up, we went and got the paperwork and went over to Martin's grocery store. And uh, he took it in there and took it out of the bag and throwed it on the scale, and he hollered. His state record, 18.1 pounds, and he filled out all the paperwork for me. And then that evening I got home. Well, when I got home, I called the game, the fish commission up, and they sent their deputy out, and he measured it. It was uh, 34 inches long, 21 and a half inch girth, and like I said, it weighed 18.1 pounds. What a monster. That is a monster, and, and I love the story, and I love the fact that, uh, you know, you're, you're going down there and you're catching catching food and you're eating these things because there's not much well, better no, than a wallet. My dad, my dad taught us, we're meat fishermen. He, he taught us we go there to catch fish to eat. I don't like to buy it. You, can't, you don't know what you're buying. No, no, you know what you're getting when you go catch your bait and you go yes, catch your I, fish. I and agree. You and then like us, we got good water. Our river's good to catch fish out of, too. It's got good water. It's... We're lucky for that. Well, Very uh, lucky. we truly appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing your story and the adventure, and, and, and we like that. But, you know, later on in the week, I went down there, and I caught three more big walleyes. I caught one 31 inches that weighed 14 and a half pounds. I caught another one that was 27 that weighed nine and a half, and then I caught an eight-pounder. See, that's, that's awesome, and I'm sure it won't be the uh, the end of the uh, catching them off that sandbar, but we're up oh, against... No, that's a honey hole. <laughs> it, it is. We're up against the clock here, but uh, that lets people know the good uh, fishing that there is in Pennsylvania, and uh, Richard, thanks for being on the podcast. We appreciate it. I, I appreciate you letting me talk. Oh, no problem. That was Richard Nicholson. I am Dave Cran. Steve Siley is remote, and this segment was brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors the we fish asa podcast will be right back the outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at big rock sports as avid anglers hunters and outdoor enthusiasts it's our passion so advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us big rock sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Calcutta, we're an outdoor coastal trading company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. 
Born in the back of a Florida bait-and-tackle shop, Calcutta was created with a rebellious spirit and a goal to offer hard-working outdoor products at a reasonable price. Calcutta builds the products that fit your lifestyle. We're on a mission to help you reclaim your free time and to declare mutiny on the mundane. Depend on Calcutta gear and apparel. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Petula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Sarley. My partner Dave Kranz is remote. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. Please help them to ensure the future of fishing by visiting keepamericafishing.org. And if you're an industry professional, please consider joining the American Sport Fishing Association by visiting asafishing.org. With us right now, one of my favorite guys. Uh, had the pleasure of uh, talking to him uh, on the air many, many times. Uh, he used to be controversial. He's really settled down on it. He's uh, reached the Middle Ages. Uh, an all-around good guy and a great fisherman. He's, he's at about just a tad under the $3 million mark in career winnings, but money doesn't say it all. Uh, this guy can fish and fish and fish any circumstances, any water, any weather. He's proven it time and time again. Please welcome the one and only Ike, Mike Iconelli. How you doing? How you doing today? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay, Ike. Um, so many things I want to talk to you about, but you know, you you do so much media. Uh, you uh, you've got a, a TV show going now, one of a number that you have done. Um, Fish my city and uh, National Geo, uh, uh, National Geo Wild Network. You've got the Ike Live podcast. You've got the Going Ike video series that you do. Let's say you're the host of this show. And your guest is going to be Mike Iaconelli. How do you introduce Mike Iaconelli? <laughs> That's a good question. I never really thought about it, to be honest with you. I think this is the first time in my life I've been stumped for an answer. Oh, come um, on. You're going to bail on me or you're going to come up with something? You're a quick thinker, Ike. I'm usually a pretty quick thinker. You know, you're when you're born in the Northeast, I'm from New Jersey, Philadelphia, Usually, you can bowl with the best of them, you know. So, uh, but I tell you this: um, you you mentioned a lot of stuff, and it seems like a lot when you were mentioning all that stuff. But it's funny because it doesn't feel like a lot, you know. And and I I, I don't know how to explain this, but I can't sit still well at all. And I married a woman that can't sit still well at all. And when you get two people together that can't sit still, you just stay busy. You know what I mean? You just keep doing stuff. So uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how I would introduce myself. I, I like to fish. I have fun fishing. Uh, everything we do in our personal lives and business life somehow revolves around fishing. 
I'm pretty lucky. Maybe maybe I'd introduce myself as the luckiest guy alive because I get to either fish or talk about fishing or do something in the fishing world every single day. And that's pretty lucky, you know? I, I agree 100%. And I am definitely going to edit out that line where you said, you have me stumped. And, and, and I will put that on my intro forever. I'm the guy that stumped Mike Iaconelli, who I thought was impossible <laughs> to stump. You know, I, I know... I, I know Becky. I know Becky well, and and she's a she's a great uh, business partner for you, a great uh, a great wife, a great mom. Uh, she, she, the yin to your yang, you know. She's just uh, you and her are a perfect combination. But you talk about her being uh, driven like you are. You know, when I see Becky and I talk to her, she's very calm and laid back, and you're always. You look like you're going to start vibrating at any second. How does she hide that? Yeah, I don't know how she hides it because she likes to keep moving. She likes to keep busy, you know. Yeah. For me, you know, I, I, I just, I can't sit still. I've been this, like this since I was a kid. You know, you got to remember when I went to school in the 80s, they didn't have medical diagnosis for all this stuff. <laughs> so when I couldn't sit still, you know, there was probably something wrong. But, you know, it's okay because I learned how to deal with it by staying busy. <laughs> hey, you know, you're, you're, you're better off than them giving you handfuls of pills and saying, uh, you know, take these and you'll be like the rest of the kids. Why would you want to be like the rest of the kids? You know, you turned out to be Mike Iaconelli. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's, uh, it's, it's always worked for me, and it's, it's translated to my fishing style as well. And, you know, I'm, I'm not the guy that can sit in one place and slowly fish a lure. You know, I cover a lot of water. I move a lot. I power fish. You know, I I like to run and gun, and it's it's helped me in my in my professional fishing. I mean, that energy level has translate has translated into being able to compete with these guys, and uh, it's it's been important for me. I, I I'm laughing, and I think this. Uh, I don't know if I told this story with you or not before. We were at ICAST. I want to say three or four years ago, maybe five. And uh, you bumped into a guy who was doing a demonstration, uh, I believe it was with a yo-yo. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. I yeah. do remember that. And, and you picked up the yo-yo, and you had this guy showing you some things, and all of a sudden you looked like uh, it was, uh, who wants to be a millionaire, and you're down to, you've got no phone of friends left anymore, and you were just like so intense and staring at this yo-yo. And, we're gonna, and I, 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 uh, Becky, your wife walked up. So she says, "Oh no, I can't believe that he." Oh no! I said, "What's the matter?" She goes, "He's going to just be obsessed with this yo-yo until he gets tired of it. It could be months and months." He, look, look at his face. He's just so into this thing. I go, "That makes sense to me." It just, it just your face while you were holding that yo-yo showed me what Mike Iaconelli is all about. Whenever he attempts to do anything, you're just totally into it. It takes you over. <laughs> it does. I'm, I, I'm very obsessive with things, and that's you know whether it's in my personal life or professional life. Once I get into something, you know, I want to totally immerse myself. I want to be good at it, you know. And that's everything from fishing to you know the businesses to my hobbies, my other strange hobbies that I have. And even the yo-yo, you know, I, I, I saw that thing and I saw this guy who was so good. I said, I want to do that. <laughs> I want to try that, you know. Did, did you get over it or are you still playing with a yo-yo? 
It's never too old to yo-yo. No, no, that, that's amazing. I, you know, you've you've gone through so many things. I can see ads on TV. Uh, Mike, I can only for Duncan. Uh, you know, walk walking the dog on a television commercial, and the comeback of the yo-yo as the uh, the national uh, diversion for children. Oh my goodness. Uh, if that happens, uh, you can uh, you can thank me for planting a seed. Hey, talk, let, let's get on to what everybody wants to talk about. Last time I had you on, uh, afterwards, and we were remote, you know, I'm, uh, my partner Dave is off, off in the wilderness. He said, how come you didn't ask Ike what he's going to do this upcoming year? You know, uh, what, what's his yeah. decision? Where's he going to go? And I said, well... You know, he hasn't announced it, and, and he's got enough media outlets. I don't see him dropping that on our show. I think we'll wait for him to do it on his own. And lo and behold, you did. Everybody was shocked. You, you dropped out of the professional tournament circuits uh, where you were yeah. required to fish, you know, all the events, whether it was the elites or major league fishing, whatever. Uh, you, you didn't want to do that. You wanted to, to move out and, and, and do your own things and, and do things a little bit different. And it shocked the world. And, and I'll tell you something. Uh, I Googled Mike Iaconelli today. And uh, the first, you know, it comes up with a bunch of suggested questions you can type in. And the first one was, does Mike Iaconelli fish anymore? <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> so there, there, there's obviously a lot of people asking that question well you never stop yeah. fishing you just stopped fishing the circuits uh, yeah start what did you do what, what have you done for the last uh, year yeah I mean it, there, there's a lot of parts to it you know there's a lot of moving parts I, I'll start by saying that you know I've I've been on this track since I was in my twenties, literally since I was in college, you know, all I ever wanted to do was compete at the top professional level. And when you look at those years, you're talking about 30 years, that's a long time in a profession. And so when COVID hit two years ago, when this whole, the world changed, right? COVID hit the world changed the professional tournaments. At the time I was with major league fishing, the professional tournament world, he, uh, halt it like the other professions, right? Like baseball and football. We had a pause in the tournaments and it was the first time in almost 30 years where I was able to step back and be home, be with my family more, be with my kids more. And, and, you know, it was a chance for me, honestly, to sort of reanalyze my life. And, and, you know, reanalyze what's important and stuff like that. And so, you know, uh, flash forward to the following year uh, when the commitments were, were out there from Major League Fishing. And, you know, Becky and I, we just made a commitment to take a pause, take a break, and kind of continue this thing where being home more and focusing on some of the other businesses, you know, just made sense at that point of my life, at that point of our lives to do that. And it was so refreshing. I can't even tell you, like, I'm trying to explain. It's like, you know, it's not that I, I, I never stopped. I, I've never stopped, you know, my love for fishing. That's never changed. But it was refreshing to take a pause. And, you know, and the other part of that was we got to refocus a lot of energy on other things. You know, whether it was 
the Ike Live podcast or Bash University, what it was, you know, getting kids involved, teaching people how to fish. The new TV show, right? We got to refocus our energy a little bit and try to grow fishing, try to expand, you know, fishing, try to show it to new people. And it was such a good break for me, you know, for, for those two years. It was such a good break. But what I realized, and I think what Becky and I realized, as much as we love the time away and the time, you know, together more and all these new things, we also, we missed professional tour fishing. And, you know, we really, it took us a, it took us a while to make that decision, but it was sort of like, I wasn't ready to hang up my hat yet. You know, it didn't feel like it was time for me to hang up my hat. Um, and it felt like it was time to go back to the league where I started, which was, which was BASS. And, you know, I worked hard all last year to qualify to get back to that tournament circuit. Right. You know, I didn't want a handout. I didn't want, I didn't want a handout. I didn't want them saying, Oh, you want a classic, just come back. I didn't want that. I wanted to earn my way back. And we did that last year while shooting the TV show. I fished the Northern opens and I qualified to come back to the elite. So everything was pointing in the direction to come back. I think I can honestly tell you, I haven't said this on any show yet. I can honestly tell you that I feel like this is these next years, whether it's two, three, four, ten, whatever it is, these next years, it's the last few chapters of my career. But the book, you know, my book's not over in competitive fishing. I got a few chapters left. I got a few wins left in me. And I'm, I'm glad to be back at Bass to try to do that. Excellent, excellent explanation. Thanks for saying that. We're going to take a real quick break. Uh, we're here with Mike Iaconelli, the one, the only Ike. Lucky to have him. Uh, we'll be back with him. We're going to talk uh, more fishing, more about Mike's career. Maybe you're going to get some personal things out of him. You never know. Anyway, this is We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Sarley with Mike Iaconelli. We'll be right back after this. You know, when I look at the tournaments I've won, probably four or five of the boats that I've won have been on a tube. But I've completely gotten away from flipping a tube because nobody, nobody made one soft enough. Big Bite has come with this new tour series of baits. The thing that's probably the most unique is when you look at that bait, the salt just rolls out of it. And to me, that is the reason a fish bites a tube and hangs on to it. This isn't one of those, let's go out and catch some smallmouth tube. This is a let's get it done tube. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Petula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. The St. Croix story has evolved over 70 years. With gritty determination, St. Croix built the most advanced fishing rod facility in the world. And with it, a world-class brand that has earned the respect and admiration of anglers around the planet. We will continue to challenge ourselves, our employees, and our partners to be the best every day. 
We're proud to celebrate 70 years of passion and commitment to making the best rods on earth. St. Croix. We Fish ASA is back. I'm Steve Surley. My partner Dave Kranz is remote. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. We're with Mike Iaconelli talking about his decision to go back to where he started out. He's rejoining the Bassmaster organization, and he'll be fishing the elites this year. Yeah, a lot of people figured they would just uh, waver you in and say, hey, we'll do anything to get Mike back. My God, what big news. We'd do anything. But no, didn't work out that way, and, and you did it the right way. And I honestly, you do a lot of things the hard way. <laughs> uh, you, you don't take the easy way out. You, you didn't do it with this. You, you fished the Opens. You qualified. You're back, and you're going to hit it hard this year. But the Northern Opens weren't the yeah. only things you fished. You you also uh, took on the, the sport of kayak fishing with a passion in the past year. Yeah, 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 we did. Well, well, I, I well, did. No, I mean, you don't sound happy uh, about that. What's that? You, you don't sound happy. When I said kayak fishing, you're like, eh. No, I'm actually super happy about it. No. All right. I, it, it, was, it was another thing that was sort of um, a passion, and it was on my radar, and I haven't been able to succeed at it at the top level, right? So what I mean by that is, man, I've been kayak fishing for a long time. I've been kayak fishing my first one i bought i want to say it was about i don't know 10 or 12 years ago i bought just a very basic kayak at a sporting goods store just a paddle kayak a few years later about eight years ago i got to my first hobie kayak and i really started engaging in um fishing from a kayak right you know and hands-free fishing with the hobie and about three years ago I started tournament fishing in, in the kayak and it's really like the ultimate mix of things, right? It's, it's this cool thing called kayak fishing. You got the mix of competition. Um, and man, I, I jumped into it and you know, the thing that was interesting is that as many years as I've tournament fished, you thought it, you know, I would have thought it would have been like this easy transfer to kayak fishing, <laughs> but it was different. It was a different animal. Uh, there was a different skill set and I had to learn. I had to, I had to sort of, you know, jump into it, make mistakes, have failure and keep pushing and keep pushing. And that's why it feels good, man, because, you know, everybody, they're not looking at the two or three years that I fished kayak tournament and I didn't do any good. You know, I had some bad events. I had some okay events, but I, it seemed like I couldn't win one, you know? And then finally this year, I won one, and it and it, it really didn't mean a lot. It meant a lot, and it was something I've worked at, you know, um, you know, just 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 like you, you mentioned it. But I didn't want to do it the easy way. Like there are guys that kayak fish, and they practice in their big boats, and they go out and you know they graph and they practice in their regular bass boat, and then they fish the tournament in the kayak. I didn't do it that way. I practiced in the kayak. I wanted to do everything right, you know, and. Uh, Here's the thing about kayak fishing. I'll leave you with this is that it's so easy to get involved in that form of fishing. And, and that's one of the things I love about it. You don't have to have a $60,000, $70,000 boat. It doesn't need gas. You don't have to have a special trailer. 
You could throw it on the top of your car and the back of your truck. Um, it's very easy to get involved in kayak fishing. And I love that aspect. And I think a lot of people just picking up the sport are going to gravitate toward it. And that's good. Cause that's, that's growth, right? That's growing the sport. Oh, for sure. For sure. And, uh, I just talked about this a uh, week or two ago with uh, Christine Fisher, who won the uh, uh, the Hobie Kayak Championship this year. And uh, I told her a story. I said I was at the National Professional Anglers Association a couple of years back. I'm not sure if it was the one that you attended or not, but I was sitting in a uh, in a breakout session with uh, the legendary Ron Linder, and and Ron and I talked quite a bit about uh, uh, kayak fishing, and we were at a youth panel. Uh, the guy from uh, Shimano that handles their youth fishing was there, and some of the the, the younger fishermen were there. And uh, I want to say Jordan Lee. Jordan Lee was on the panel as well. And Ron said, "Hey, you know, you you know, all this fishing is great, and this high school fishing is wonderful. But you really got to support kayak fishing because you these kids can't get their hands on these boats. There aren't enough boat opportunities." Yeah. He says, you, you start worrying about doing your tournaments with kayak fishing, everybody's involved. You know, it's it's not a limited access sport. Everybody who wants to do it can get into it. And and here's Ron, a guy who's, you know, a legendary fisherman with, uh, you know, the, the linders and in-fish and all that and never seen him do anything other than being in a boat. And, and all he wanted to talk about was kayak fishing. And I really think knowing Mike Iaconelli, who is one of the most charitable guys I know, one of the guys who's so dedicated about advancing the sport, a guy who just loves working with the children. Kayak fishing is a natural for you. Other than the fact that you're a hell of a kayak fisherman, you are really bringing this to the masses at the youth level. Yeah, that, that that's so important. You hit it right on the head. You know, it's, it's, it's access, it's, you know, feasibility for people, and it's a great way to get kids, youth, to the next level of fishing, right? You know, starting on the bank, everybody does it, but that next level, you know, how do you get out there? I think it's a great solution. The other thing that's great about kayak fishing is that it really puts the fishing at, at the ground level. Like there's something special about setting the hook, fighting and landing a fish in a kayak versus a big boat. It's hard to describe if you haven't tried it, but you, you know, it's like when you're, when you're fighting that fish and he's pulling you around and he jumps and when he jumps, he literally jumps at eye level with you. That's, that's hard to, to do that in a lot of other forms of fishing. So it, it's, it's a fun, exciting way to fish and, and it's very easy to access. For sure. Well, I, I'm glad you're back in the tournaments. I, I think you've got a, a lot of wins ahead of you. Uh, I know that uh, you're not in the Classic this year. I'm sure you'll be in the year after. And, uh, you know, I know you've got another Classic win in your future. We, we've talked uh, with some people lately about different things uh, that could be changed in professional fishing. Uh, one of which, and and you come from about as far northeast as anybody. What if, what if they dropped a, a California, a Clear Lake, some something like that as as an event on the Bassmaster Elite Tour? What would you do besides shake your head and say, "Man, I can't believe they're making me drive there"? <laughs> well, I think they should. Uh, they're probably going to be some other guys from the northeast mad at me for saying it, but 
I really think they should. I think, you know, uh, if it's a national tour, I think the national tour should be a representation of the national scene, right, of the, of the national fisheries, which is the United States. So, yeah, to, to, have a, to have a tour, and I'm talking about MLF and Bass, to have a tour and have 10 or 15 guys from the West Coast, which they do, each circuit does, we should be going out there. If not every year, every other year, we should be going out there and visiting those fisheries. I would say the same for the Midwest. I would say the same for the North. You know, I, I think there's a lot of places in the country where we need to get to, and we need to, you know, we need to get to these fisheries. Um, unfortunately, you know, th and this is the reality of it, the politics of why a lake or a location gets selected the politics behind it really override a lot of the other factors. So at the end of the day, you know, Bass or MLF, they're picking locations based on money. And, and you know, that's a shame because they should be picking these tournament locations based on new places, the fan base, a representation of anglers, the anglers' needs and wants, right? They should be the reasons they're picking locations. And they're not. And, and that's why you see every year, it seems like you see the same eight or 10 places on the schedule every year. And, uh, and I'm a big advocate of new places and gone new places. And so I think we should go to the West Coast. I agree. And, and I'll make sure I send a copy of this to uh, um, Ish Monroe, who is one of your absolute best personal friends in the world. And uh, we're talking about going out and visiting his home water, and I think he'd be real proud that you gave the answer you just gave. Yeah, yeah for sure. Hey, uh, the uh, other thing that we don't we don't see. I've talked about this, doing a few things different. Uh, been talking about uh, the, the guys and said, "What would you think if they did a split tournament where you you bass fish in the morning and you crappie fished in the afternoon? You find some way to combine the uh, combine the catch." Uh, doing doing two different species. Uh, what do you think about something like that? Well, I, I like the concept of standalone specialty events, uh, like you're, what you're talking about, and there's a lot of other ones, too. You saw Bassmaster dabble in it this fall with a redfish-style tournament. I, I thought that was great. I love – yeah, I thought it was great. I thought it was great. Here's the thing, right? Any other professional sport, when you look at the, the big ones, if you look at golf or – football or hockey, you see that they have tons of specialty events uh, that are, you know, made for TV events where they're just, they're really just trying to draw people's attention to say, hey, th our sport's great and, and check this out. We can do stuff like this. We need to do more of that, right? I, th I think we need to do it. I think both leagues need to take the initiative to do stuff like what you're talking about. Um, I think you could do it with multi-species. I think you could do a seniors tour. I think you could do a a league against the league tour. Um, you know, I mean, there's so many that you could do a big bass event. You know, there's so many different ways. Oh, for sure. To, hey, to have, how yeah, about, to get, how about, right, uh, to get more I want to see, uh, I want to see uh, a boat that's uh, filled with Mike and Becky Iaconelli going up against uh, Kevin and Sherry <laughs> Van Dam. I, I would love Heck to yeah, see a husband and wife tournament, man. Put that on pay per view. Take my here's my credit card. I'm ready for that one. Heck yeah, I man, me and Becky, we'd be hard to beat. I just want to tell you right now, we got we got the 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 ultimate team, which is I can't sit still and fish slow. 
and she likes to do that. So when you get two guys, two people in the same boat fishing as a team, I'll be in the front cranking. She'll be in the back dragging a shaky head. Forget about it. We win. Uh, we win, man. I, I love it. You know, I, there's so many different ideas. This sport, we can really push this thing forward. I, I And I thought that redfish thing was great. I, I watched it. I thought it was wonderful. I'm glad they did it because I've been told by other people before that uh, uh, one-offs don't work. You can't broadcast it. You can't do airtime. You can't promote it. I say baloney. You can. You put that out there. I think the redfish was successful. I think any of these things would be successful, and I'm going to keep talking about it, and I want to see it happen. There, there, there's more to this sport. And with, with people like Mike Iaconelli, true superstars who draw crowds, there, there's just no way you can stop the growth of the sport as long as you keep your, your mind open and you do, try new things. I agree. I agree. Well, time goes by so fast, Mr. Mike Iaconelli. I want to remind the people, Fish My City on National Geo Wild, the Ike Live podcast. Going Ike, the video series. The guy is all over the place, and he's coming back to the Bassmaster Elites. Going to win some more money, break the $3 million mark, and definitely cause some damage. The competition's already worried about him. He's going to prove that... uh, What? Say it again. Oh, I was just laughing. (laughs) (laughs) No, I said the the competition's fearing that he's coming back because he is the legend. He's Mike Iaconelli. Hey, Ike, thanks for being with us. Let's catch up again real soon. Thanks for having me. It was fun. No problem. Take care, Ike. Later. The one, the only, Mike Iaconelli. That wraps up this week's edition of the We Fish ASA podcast, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. I'd like to thank today's guest, Dan Johnston, of course, Richard Nicholson, walleye record holder from the state of Pennsylvania, 18 pounds plus, unbelievable. And then uh, it's always fun to be on with Mike Iaconelli, one of the greatest of all time and uh, will even be greater in the future. You can guarantee that. I'd like to thank our sponsors, St. Croix, the best rods on earth, Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion, and Daiwa. We've got your bass covered, Daiwa Reels. Remember that We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. Check it out anywhere you get your podcasts from. Don't forget, you can always go to our website, wefishasa.com. You can listen there, or you can write to us. We answer everything we get. We love your correspondence, so have at it. I'm Steve Surley. Dave Kranz is my partner. We'll see you next week now. Let's go fishing! I'm professional angler Kevin Van Dam, and people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple. Keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your part and join me. Visit keepamericafishing.org and pledge to pitch it.